Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the number one Bengals podcast. I'm your host, Teddy McDook. I'm joined as always by John, the brain Sheeran. And John, it feels like old times. Not in the good way. Yes, it does. Cincinnati Bengals. It's nostalgia a little bit. Well, we never had such high expectations. We never spent so much money on a roster. And now everybody's laughing at us, John. I mean, there's there's no laughter here, you know? Everyone's kind of down to the dumps. I, I don't really listen to what people outside of Cincinnati have to say. Those people have never had skylines, so they're... Their opinions are usually kind of nullified, in my opinion. Not enough of space. But here we are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. John, there's so much to talk about right now. First of all, Joe Burrow's injury. It turns out there's a real injury. He really injured his calf in the preseason. And oh, you thought it was it was bad enough. No, no, I'm just, just stating the facts here. And it was bad enough that Jamar Chase, John, at the time, he said, hey, look, man, come back week five. And everybody's like, week five? It is six weeks from the season. Why would he, what, you know? And now, John, what has happened? He's not right. It turns out it is a, they should have waited till week five. Mm-hmm. Now they're 0-2, and Burrow, it could take longer than week five. Is, to get fully healthy, we don't know. How long would that take? So I think there was initial... Not outrage. There was an initial pushback against what Chase said because there's cases of a mild grade one calf strain only keeping a quarterback out for a couple of weeks. So when Burrow was five or six weeks away from the regular season, everyone kind of assumed that you know his recovery progression was that of a grade one calf strain that would not take a full six weeks for him to feel like himself. I think at this point, it's clear that his injury was a little bit different. Every injury is obviously different. Everyone's bodies are different, but it's been, we're, we're like a week away from it being two months since it initially happened. And it was at a point where it was in a position to get reaggravated or aggravated and that it did against Baltimore. And that's the crazy thing about soft tissue injuries is because there were multiple examples or moments in this game against Baltimore where you know Burrow was escaping the pocket he booked it downfield to try to tackle uh Geno Stone after throwing the interception there were times when you know Burrow's calf could have been pulled or strained at any moment but it didn't until the very end of the game when he was I think evading like Patrick Queen on the second to last play of that drive right before his second touchdown it, it they're just cruel beasts those soft tissue injuries and unfortunately it it it's still causing borough issues and yeah if they had taken uh jamar chase's advice and they're still in two i'm sure there would have been pushback saying oh there's no way that burrow still needed you know time to recover or whatever but that, that's just that's just the danger and the unknown cruelty of, of these these types of injuries yeah and john let's just evaluate his performance knowing what we know those first two games so we know that he was running okay he was moving okay but hey, you, everybody knows their body. He seemed to have known 
that he was on the verge of re-aggravating it. Maybe playing with a little extra caution, maybe playing with a little bit of extra fear. And it was two really tough opponents, John. It was two def- defenses that know him really well and have really good run games. They could run out the clock and put the defense at disadvantage and put more pressure on Burrow to deliver. I, th- I think specifically with what Chase said, because I'm not sure if he's ever suffered a calf injury or any type of soft tissue, uh, soft tissue injury like what Burrow did. He was going off the intuition, I think, of what he suffered last year, which was a hip fracture. Now, a hip fracture, you know, we didn't know at the time how severe it was when he initially suffered it, but he ended up missing, I think, four or five games. He wasn't placed on injured reserve, so it was technically like a week-to-week basis thing, but he could have played against the Titans, I think, after like four weeks of, of taking of taking off last year, but he decided to take that extra week, return against the Chiefs. He played really well against the Chiefs, and it wasn't an issue for the for the rest of the season. So he had experience of taking longer time than necessary, than truly necessary, in order to make sure that you feel 100% and you're able to perform. Clearly, Burrow was pushing as strong as he could to get back in time for the start of the season. And while he didn't look like completely inept against, like in the first half against the Ravens, like he he was still just not fully 100% back. And that's, again, it's still the danger. Like it's not just like, you know, recovering, recovering from a knee injury or any, any type of ligament. It, it's a soft tissue. And, and sometimes it just creeps up when you least expect it. Yeah, it, it is very unfortunate. And John, a lot of people are saying maybe the staff needs to be blamed. You know, I think someone pointed out that Joe Burrow had some calf tightness, some some tightness in his leg, and Zach Taylor had him practice, and that was a risk they shouldn't have taken. And then we see after the injury, John, we see Joe Burrow on the sideline with what looks like a, a device that the, the Bengals got from the sharper image, probably in 1998, and that is the treatment that they are giving him. They say just massage your own. Calf. Oh, those those massage those those massage guns though they're they hit they hit differently. I don't know. I've never treated a calf strain on them, but um, they're they're nice. They're very nice. Well, they might feel nice, John. But after using them, did you feel like you could go out there and throw the ball against the NFL defense? Probably not. Well, no, no. And, and here here's also. Like if we want to get deeper into this, right? If we want to get to into the logic of potentially sitting Burrow down, it, it's tough because I, I think there's a there's a dead path where he could play this Monday against the Los Angeles Rams. The problem with this specific injury, though, is that you're not just fearing about suffering a, a separate strain on his calf or or straining like or just basically aggravating the same thing that he uh, suffered back in July. You're talking about risking. An Achilles injury because it's just right in that it's right in that area. It, it's a direct, it's just it's it, it's a wrecked likelihood possibility of playing on a bad calf, and obviously that's detrimental. It's what Aaron Rodgers suffered a week ago um, for four snaps into his Jets career. So that's something that's a hundred percent in the Bengals' mind right now. It's something that you know the medical team is evaluating. Is it worth the risk to put Joe Burrow out there if they if they feel like there's a sensible amount? of risk of Burrow ha- suffering a season-ending injury. That That's what's at play here. It's not just about the cap anymore. And we're talking about facing Aaron Donald again. We're talking about facing a Rams defense that, yes, they don't have Von Miller anymore, but just a few years ago, they toured the Bengals a new one. And Orlando Brown's been pretty good, John, but the offense overall has not 
given Burrow is not they've not been able to scheme guys open they've not been able to out to smart opposing defenses to the point of taking pressure off of Burrow like I saw a stat John that he's by far getting the ball out faster than anybody else in the NFL and this is exactly what they're trying to avoid you put him out there against that Rams team that has looked better than we expected this year it's gonna be a disaster so we have Jake Browning he is our second quarterback, a QB2. He is, by according to the law, in his contract, he is a man who's expected to play quarterback, John. And that could be what he actually does. I don't think anybody actually thought that would happen. But now we're in a position where he will be throwing the ball in the actual game. And there's nothing we can do about it. <laughs> Damn, that sounds really dire when you put it that way. Well, I mean, let's be honest. You and I want to see who. We want to see Will Greyer out there because the guy can run. He's got some feistiness. I think he's exactly the type of quarterback you want to let him go out there on Monday night. Probably throws five interceptions, but it's entertaining. You know, Jake Browning, come on, John. We're going to put up three points again. Here, here's the thing. Cause, like, Jake Browning was an undrafted free agent when he entered the league. I forget what year that was. Will Greer was a third-round pick by the Carolina Panthers. Now, he didn't have a clear path, I think, to start down in Carolina. I think there was another quarterback ahead of him at the time. He only got like a couple starts because of injury. He obviously never really, I guess, impressed that much to compete or challenge for the position. But regardless, he had you know starting quality caliber talent coming out of college, and he showed that this past preseason with the Dallas Cowboys. That's why the you know the Bengals were in- intrigued with him. They wanted a high upside kind of quarterback to just develop as you know essentially the new and improved version of Jake Browning the practice squad quarterback and have Browning progress into quarterback too but I think inherently I think Will Greer is just the more talented guy and if they want to inject a spark with the offense then he might be the guy the thing about scheming guys open and just helping out Andrew Burrow I, I don't think that's ever really going to happen once Burrow's on the field I think Burrow prefers and is more comfortable in an offense when he has more control, when there's not as much pre-snap movement, when there's not as much gimmicky stuff that's going on. It's very similar to what you know Aaron Rodgers does in Green Bay or in New York, I guess now, where you know there's not like he wants total autonomy, he wants total control over that. I think that's kind of how Burrow kind of operates, but you still need to find a nice balance to mix with that. But I think regardless of Burrow's health and status, if he's out there, the, the offense is going to still tailor around his strengths, and that is still getting the ball quickly. If they have a new quarterback in there, though, I think at that point you would have to just completely alter what the offense is just to help the quarterback out because, you know, those quarterbacks aren't Burrow. John, I mean, I guess here's the thing. Jake Browning, Will Greyer, whatever, they're not starting caliber quarterbacks. But no. we we... Bengals fans, we've been saying we have the best receiving quarter in the league. And let's, you know, T. Higgins can make open targets with his size. Jamar Chase can make open targets with his ability to, you know, get get off the ball. And, you know, he's so strong and so savvy, right? And Tyler Boyd is always willing to make the tough catches over the middle. I guess the thing is, John, this is this is when we get to prove it. This is when the team, and Zach Taylor, by the way, Zach Taylor was hired for his offensive mind. I feel like if this is one of the worst offenses in the league, and it was with Burrow, it was one of the worst, but he was injured. If it continues to be one of the worst offenses in the league, 
with those guys, do we start questioning the coaching? And, and look, Zach Taylor is a great coach because he's a great mentor. He's inspirational. He's built a culture. But play calling, a lot of people are asking about it. Yeah, you're going to have to see some some level degree of adjustments in terms of making the offense easier on the quarterback. The problem with that is it's weak. It's it's the middle of September. Like you can't just reinstall things in the offense now and just completely change what it looks like. Maybe, maybe a handful of coaches can do that. Maybe a handful of teams can do that. I just, I I don't think that's necessarily realistic. Like the quarterbacks are still going to be doing the same offense that they, again, installed over the course of May, June, July, and August. Like the offense as a, as an identity is not necessarily changing. You might see a difference in terms of like 20, maybe 25% of what the offense does. And maybe you just have just a heavier reliance on the run game. It's just really hard though, in the middle of the season, just, just to completely change things up, especially when you weren't doing that with your starting quarterback anyways. No, I'm just saying whatever they change it, they don't change it. There needs to be some production. I mean, you can't have those receivers and you can't have an offensive coach and, and look that bad. And you spend that much. I understand Burrow is great. We always said if he's hurt, the season's over. Stop. I get that. Full, full I get stop. That. Full stop. But but John, John, look at the 49ers. Look at the teams with great offensive minds. They somehow, they were getting things out of quarterbacks who have no business of starting in the it's, league. It's, it's, not the, it's not the same offense. It never will be the same offense. It's not a positive or negative. Zach Taylor's just not Mike McDaniel. He's not Kyle exactly. Shanahan. Okay. So it's, because it's not. built around Burrow's talents is what you're saying. You can't expect it to continue without Burrow. That's that's what you pretty, mean. Pretty pretty much, yeah. Okay, let's talk about the defense then, John. Because the defense has been bad. And look, we lost Jesse Bates, arguably our best player on defense. You could argue one of the top two or three players on our defense. You know, we lost Von Bell, who maybe athletically wasn't the best, but he added a lot in terms of attitude and leadership. We lost these guys, John. And we're not making tackles. You 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 tweeted about that. How we're not we're not making tackles. We're not you know, Lamar Jackson, John. He had one of his best games. I mean, I don't know about the stats, but he was he was making some top notch throws against our defense. He was completing some really pretty throws, and I haven't seen that a lot against the Bengals at least. And. What 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 do we do? What do we if the defense? I understand the the offense hasn't given them much, but the defense has been letting teams run and run and run, and that's been the problem too. When does that stop? What do they do? Based off of what we saw and what Lunarumo said today about it, it was a clear case of not being prepared for a new Ravens offense, and this is something that as soon as the Ravens hired Todd Monken. I immediately knew that it was a it was a match made in heaven because Lamar's ability to push the ball down the field and ability to get off throws from different types of platforms he was he was ultimately made for an offense that was designed the way that Baltimore's offense is now the 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 Greg Roman you know read option just BS run game like it was limiting what Lamar could do as a passer and now that they have an offensive coordinator that's prioritizing a lot of them personnel. It fits Lamar so much more, so much better, and will allow him to just expand on the already talented base that he has. And unfortunately, in years past, when Lamar made a more emphasis on running the Bengals' pass rush, their keys were just essentially just plug gaps. Like, don't even 
don't even try to pressure Lamar. Just keep him in the pocket so that if he tries to, you know, rush upfield or rush outside, you're just you're you're able to basically close whatever gap that he wants to accelerate through. And that's been their way of containing him because again, like the structure of their passing offense in years past, it just wasn't even close to what it is now. Now Lamar, when he's got time in the pocket, because again, the Bengals aren't trying their hardest to actually get generate pressure on him because they think this is the same type of offense. He can just sit back there and clean pockets for 40 times and just survey what he's got. And he's got really good receivers now that are finding vacancies after what five, four or five seconds are just in the pocket. It's really hard to cover guys that that amount of time. So it was, I think, a lack of preparation by the Bengals defense to, you know, prepare for a new Ravens offense. So, so you think, and, and the, the Browns ran pretty effectively against us as well, but you're, you're John, what I'm hearing is that that was a bit of a fluke of a game. And so against the Los Angeles Rams, we will see the defense return to form. I don't know how exactly you got that. I know that the Rams, their offense is more or less the same in terms of structure with Sean McVay, so they have at least some familiarity with that. The Rams also are producing without Cooper Cup. They've benched their running back, Cam Akers, and they're still doing just fine. I don't really know how without a quality offensive line, but like the Rams are still pretty good offensively, and I think Sean McVay is still a really good play caller, so... It, it comes down to their pass rush, though, because, again, rushing Lamar Jackson in the past, it, it it's different than just how the Bengals rush the quarterbacks normally. They're going to have to just pin their ears back and, and pressure Matthew Stafford there because if they if they allow him too much time to, like, like he's still going to be able to get the ball down the field, and that's, like, it, it's just not sustainable, right? I think the run defense specifically will will look better against the Rams compared to what it to, to what it was against Baltimore because, again, I, I think I just think it was a lack of preparation on their part. Yeah. Well, okay. 0-2, Monday night game. Bengals, we were always looking forward to these under the Burrow era. Bengals have been a contender. We're getting all these primetime games this year, but it could be embarrassing. So, John, I just want you and our fans to just be prepared to be very sad John, on, on Monday. And it's okay. Because we're going to get through this, and we'll get Burrow back eventually, and then the, the whole dynamic will change. So, John, what's your prediction for Monday night? Oh, man. Can, can we even do that without knowing who's a quarterback? <laughs> because, because, because well, if Burrow's help... point favorites, so, so Vegas Not anymore. must know. There's two-point favorites. Oh, since yeah. the announcement. Okay. Well, there hasn't been an announcement. It's the uncertainty, right? So I'm going to say if Burrow plays... That means that they feel comfortable enough that he's that he's going to be able to make it through the game. If he can make it through the game, man, I don't know at this point. I, I think it's probably just safer to assume the Bengals are going to lose this one. <laughs> Maybe not by a lot, but I mean, there's just not it's not a ton right now to go off of. Yeah, well, okay, yeah, I think it's yeah, John. I think it's going to be a deflating game for the Bengals and their fans? I think so. Because, yeah, I mean, I, and the final score, I think, is going to be 17 to 14 Cincinnati. That's what I think is going to happen. Hmm. So, so what exactly is deflating about that? I mean, it's not a lot of offense. It would no, just... see, I think the Bengals right now, they're carrying a lot of gas. Like, mm-hmm. you, know, it, you know. You know the thing or two about that. Figuratively. Well, it, it's not fun. But if you put the wrong things into your system, and the Bengals have been making a lot of bad decisions on the field, 
you get bloated and carrying on all that gas it's very frustrating it makes it hard to do anything you can't you i can barely do the show right now for instance and what happens john is when you deflate the gas when you let it out there's a sense of relief and i think there's a thing up That is going to be, he just summarized the whole Monday night game right there. That's what John did. And then they're going to deflate. They're going to feel like their old selves, even without Joe Burrow. I don't think he's going to play. I'm almost positive he's not going to play, John. Not next week. Maybe in two weeks, maybe in three weeks, but not next week. And I think, John, look, Joe Mixon has been running very hard. I think our receivers are going to make the quarterback look good. I just think they have to, being as good as they are. And I think it'll be enough to hold off the Rams. But we will see. John, any there final words? Yeah. Um, I kind of spit them all out, unfortunately. You did. Yeah. Damn. Okay. Well, with that, we'll see you next time. Don't forget to subscribe. Leave a comment. Turn on notifications. And we will see you next time. So long, sweetie. Bye. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.